And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 225. All right, y'all know how we do. Let's jump right in. The first one, Sinister Sightings, you decide. Hello, beautiful ladies. I want to keep the praises short as this is a long story, but I love y'all and thank you for keeping me laughing on my one hour drive to my pediatric home health patients' homes. So the story, picture this. I'm three years old and have lived in the same house since I was born. It was a homey three-bedroom trailer with a room added on for my grandparents to live in after I was born. I want to state I have always been an empath, but didn't really know it until I was like seven or eight years old. But anyway, there was no unsettling feelings in this house until my grandma came home during March 1995 and nothing was the same. She was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Everyone was sad. I mean, grandma just got diagnosed with cancer. That's typical, but not what I felt. What I felt was darkness, not sadness. And trust me, even at a young age, I knew the difference. My grandmother was my best friend. We did everything together from glamour shots on the beaches here in Florida to going on a cruise and being pulled on stage during a Brooks and Dunn concert. I was her everything and she was mine. Time passed and she started chemo and that's when I started feeling sick myself, constantly nauseated, etc. But that's also when I saw, quote, the black figure. He was in the corner of the room where my grandmother's hospital bed was set up. He just lurked there, seemed to stare at her and I. I would help my mom bring my grandma her medicines in the morning and her breakfast when she could eat it. We would sit and watch I Love Lucy. One day, the figure came to my room at the other end of the house. This was the first time I experienced sleep paralysis. He held me down in my sleep and took his needle-like fingers and pricked my feet, then my legs, then my arms. According to my mom, I was screaming like I was dying, but she couldn't wake me up. She threw ice cold water on me that night. Everyone in the house standing around me except the figure and, well, my grandma. She couldn't get out of bed now. It was probably around July. No one believed me about this figure, but it seemed to be waiting on my grandma. I don't know about you, but he was not taking her, nor was he taking me. My grandma ended up passing in December 1995, but the figure stayed. Why? I have no idea, but he only messed with me after that when I was in my old room. So I switched to the room my grandparents lived in about a year after she passed. We used the old room as extra storage. It was so peaceful in my grandma's old room, like she kept me safe there. The figure did try to interact slash scare me when I was in the main part of the house or near my old room, especially once we turned that room into a nursery for my brother when I was five. I'll send him more stories about those happenings later. I want to state that when I was 20, I moved back in there and he was still there. My family sold the home in 2014. I randomly still ride by it. It's been empty since the owners never moved anything into it and it's still just sitting there. The black figure is still there. I can feel him, his anger and frustration. He knows when I drive by too. He gets sinisterly happy or at least that's the feeling I get when I was near it. I'll email soon with more and the things I heard myself in the room with our hospice patients. Also, thank you for letting us have a place where we can tell our stories and people not think we are completely loony. Also, sorry for the grammar issues. I know there's a lot. Remember, creep it real and maybe get scared and move rooms. Sincerely, Cat C from Florida. The fact that the dark figure was still there. And then when you came back, like when you were 20, yeah, fuck that. And did you feel it when you drive by? Uh-uh. Yeah. uh-uh. It makes me think that he really is trying to do something with you. Yeah, not grandma. Yeah. Did grandma feel it? 
Oh, that's a good question. Okay, the next one. Hey, Donna. Hey, Carrie. In July of 1998 in Tampa, Florida, three young women committed a brutal murder. I knew all of them, and though I wasn't super close to any of them, being connected to them in any way was very jarring. Vicki Robinson was killed by her own daughter, Valessa Robinson, Valessa's boyfriend, Adam Davis, and their friend, John Wispel. That in of itself is enough to shake the foundation of our community, but I knew these people, and damn, what a shocking feeling. First, I'll share how I knew the murderers, and then I'll give details of the crime. The summer of 1997, I was in love for the first time. He was over the moon for me as well. I gave him something I later regretted, and of course, it was a thing you can only give once, insert eye roll. Well, of course, because I had regret, I broke up with him after school started back. He went and found a girlfriend that looked eerily like me when it came to hair color and style and a bit in features, Valessa Robinson, and made sure we met. He wanted to be around me, so I was supposed to be her friend. Of course, that didn't work out, but we now know each other. Sometime during that semester of school, I met John Wispel and got pressured into a relationship by my foster sister. She felt we were perfect for each other, and he liked me, so there you go. It didn't last very long, but he was really upset in comparison to me when I ended it. Moped around and cried to my sister person at work. Side note, I had a way about me when I was younger that dudes fell for me when I was just playing the field. I broke a lot of hearts, so yes, I see the pattern too. I completely cut off from friendships, so I lost track of his friendships. Sometime during the spring of 98, I met Adam Davis. He had been friends with my sister person years earlier, and they had bonded over the death of a mutual bestie and dated briefly at least two years prior. He came over to our neighborhood to say hi, brought his new girlfriend, Valessa. They met through mutual friends and hung out with John Wispel now. He lived close, and so they were swinging by. Sister person was so excited for me to meet Adam. I got a creepy vibe from him immediately and knew I didn't want to spend any time with him. Valessa was also super weird, more so than before. I made it clear to sister person that I wasn't interested in spending time with them at all. One, because of John, and B, because Adam and Vanessa felt unsafe at a core level. Within a few months, poor Vicky would lose her life. The fact that Adam and Valessa had done it didn't surprise me at all. John was a huge surprise and altogether it fucked me up. Now, why the fuck did poor Vicky Robinson have to die? Valessa, Adam, and John were on a path straight to hell, doing large doses of acid while also smoking pot, doing coke, and some drinking. John and Adam were over 18. Valessa was 15. Vicky wanted to save her daughter's future and planned to send her to a camp for troubled teens. Oh, the 90s. The idea of being separated from Adam put Valessa into a tailspin, and she decided that her mother had to die. What else could she do when she was about to be separated from her true love? The three of them decided to do this together, and it was brutal. Vicky was tackled and held down by Adam, and Valessa injected her mother with a syringe full of bleach. The agony poor Vicky suffered, like lava in her veins, was horrible, but not fatal. 
at least not fast enough for the crew of killers. Valesa held her mother down and someone screamed for a knife. John handed over a very large kitchen knife and Adam stabbed Vicky repeatedly in the chest until she died. John and Adam took Vicky's credit cards, ATM card, jumped in her van and went to the store to buy concrete, a trash bag and a few other supplies. This is where it falls apart. The credit card bought to buy the supplies in her burial site was ill thought out and executed horribly. Thank all the gods. They decided to dump the trash can with Vicky's body behind the Winn-Dixie near John's neighborhood, where he worked with my sister person before they got fired for various reasons. But they didn't dig the hole deep enough and didn't use the concrete correctly. She was only half concealed and found quickly. Again, thankfully. Immediately, law enforcement was tracking her banking, and wouldn't you know it, the dumbasses pulled cash off of her ATM card and still had her van. They fled, and a manhunt ensued. They were apprehended by Texas Rangers and extradited back to Tampa. They were all found guilty of their various charges. Adam originally was guilty of murder one with the death penalty because he was 19. Valesa received a lesser sentence because of her age of 15, and John got 25 years for his participation. Adam eventually won an appeal, and at this time, all three of them have been released from prison. I'm disturbed by the fact that they all walk the streets every day and wholly disgusted by the fact that Valesa is now a mother herself. How does that bitch deserve a happily ever after when she fucking killed her own mom? If anyone wants more info, tons of hits on Google and an episode of American Justice are available. Okay, I'm wrapping this one up, ladies. Thank you so much for being your crazy selves for all of us to share in. I enjoy y'all so much and laugh so hard every episode. Other drivers think I'm crazy, but it's cool because I kind of am. I have more stories for you that I will eventually get around to writing. Creep it real and don't get scared. With love, Jamie C. from Middle Tennessee. I will never understand how someone can kill their own mother. No, me either. Especially someone who had a good life with their mother, like not someone who she wasn't abused. She didn't like she didn't have a bad life, you know, where she I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Again, not that murder is ever condoned, but like you just couldn't be with your boyfriend. Right. Run off with him then, because if you're going to kill your mom, it's not like she I, I don't know. I just feel like just run off. Do whatever you want. Yep. But also, I can understand why you were so fucking rocked by that because you did have such close ties with them in a way of, I mean, you dated one, your ex had dated another one. Yeah, that's a lot. Okay, the next one. G'day from beautiful Australia. My name is Kiarni. I spelled it phonetically for easy pronunciation as it gets fucked on the daily. Thanks, parents who throw in silent letters for fun. I've been listening to you for about a year and finally decided to share my three stories. So here goes. First story. My maternal grandmother, Nana, was like a second mom to me. I would spend nearly every school holiday and weekend with Nana and Papa. My dad is a policeman, so every time our family moved to a new town for his work, my grandparents would move to a town nearby. 
In September 2022, my Nana suffered a seizure and was hospitalized for five days. By day five, she was up and talking perfectly. She was due to be discharged the next day, and she was excited to come home to Papa and her sausage dog, Lottie. Early Friday morning of her discharge, Nana suffered a severe stroke and was airlifted from her tiny country hospital to a major hospital on the Gold Coast. I kissed my husband and two children goodbye and drove the three and a half hours to be by her side. When I arrived at the hospital, the doctors pulled my mom, dad, sisters, and papa into a private room and told us there was no more they could do for her. They said it was just a matter of time until she passed. We spent most of the week traveling to and from the hospital with my elderly papa sitting and talking to Nana. She was unable to speak or move her left side. She deteriorated so quickly. The medical team organized to move her back down closer to home so she was transported. By this time, I've been away from my children for a week, and I knew I needed to be home with them. I met Nana at the hospital closer to her home and told her I was going to be home with the babies and would return to see her on the weekend. I couldn't say a big goodbye as my uncles and sisters were in the room with me, so I kissed her and left to pick up my children from school. My mom called the next day and said that Nana had passed. I was heartbroken. I did not get to say everything I wanted to tell her. I never got to thank her for the love, care, and support she had given me throughout my life. About a week after her funeral, I was lying in bed early one morning, dripping back to sleep after saying goodbye to my husband as he left for work. I felt pressure on the end of my bed near my feet, as if something or someone had sat on it. I looked up and couldn't see anyone. Thinking the kids must have come in and left again, I checked on them. They were both fast asleep and had not moved. Puzzled, I flopped back onto bed for a few more minutes of rest when it happened again. I sat bolt upright and could still see nothing. I immediately messaged my sister, the creepster who got me hooked on you guys, and told her what happened. She told me it must have been Nana coming to say goodbye and letting me know she was okay. I feel incredibly blessed to have Nana come and say goodbye to me. Second story. My children, eight and six years old, my sisters, mom, dad, and I spent the day together in Juney, New South Wales. We decided to visit Monte Cristo, the most haunted homestead in Australia that you did a story about. I was nervous as I already had two demons attached to me, my kids, and I didn't feel the need for another. We arrived at the homestead and I went to pay at the office. We got to speak to Miss Ryan, who owned the home for many years. She told us to say hello to her husband who had passed away but makes regular appearances for the visitors. This freaked my six-year-old's freak. He refused to go any further. Well, me being the awesome mom that I am told him if he didn't come with us, he would have to wait here alone and vulnerable to ghosts. Needless to say, he came along. Walking up to the homestead, the hairs on my arms stood straight up, and I had goosebumps and felt super cold. It was a hot, sunny day, so there was no logical reason for this to happen. We wandered through the home and into each room, and I felt fine. I was honestly a little bored, expecting big things to happen. I just spent time looking at the old furniture and items. My six-year-old grasped my hand the whole time saying, I don't like this. It's not nice here. Can we go now? Meanwhile, my creepy eight-year-old was sneaking up behind her poppy, my dad, and aunties, tickling their necks and yelling, boo. She has some serious Wednesday Adam vibes, that girl. We moved from the homestead to the old servant quarters where shit got real. I walked into one of the buildings at the back of the homestead and felt the hairs on my arms go up again. I brushed it off to the temperature change as it was much cooler in this area than outside. 
I looked in each front room and started towards the back bit when my chest started to get tighter and tighter and I struggled to breathe properly. I panicked and started crying. I was unable to stop crying. I pushed my way through my mom, my sister, my brother-in-law to rush out of the building. As soon as I was outside, I could breathe a lot easier, but the tears kept coming and I could not stop them. My chest ached for the rest of the day and I was exhausted like I had run a marathon. I don't know what happened in that area, but holy bat balls, it got me good. Third story. I was in the Australian Navy and my now husband and I were based out of Darwin in the Northern Territory. At the time, my brother-in-law and his partner also arrived in Darwin. My brother-in-law's partner brother lived with them. He had two kids from a previous relationship. He was battling for custody and only saw the kids on the weekends. One day I was at work scrolling through news outlets online when a picture caught my eye. It was the outside of my brother-in-law's home. I scrolled down and saw the title, A Man, Two Children Found Dead in Darwin House. I froze but kept reading. It outlined that the brother had smothered the children, then hung himself. I rang my husband and told him to call his brother. I rang from my desk, yelling at my boss, I have to go, emergency. My brother-in-law worked away then and could not go to the house, so my husband went. He explained to the police that it was his brother's house. I met my brother-in-law's ex-partner at the airport when she landed from her time away at a wedding. The security had alerted the pilot, and she was taken to a private room where I sat down with her and told her what happened. It was the worst thing I have ever had to do. I will never forget the days and months after. Years have passed, and I still remember seeing the house online like it was yesterday. That heart-stopping moment thinking, oh my God, what is happening? The weird thing was that the night before, as my husband and I were fast asleep, our smoke alarms went off three times. Not the kind of sound it makes when the batteries are flat, but the alarm of warning for danger, i.e. smoke or fire. We checked the house and there was no fire or smoke anywhere. To this day, I believe it was a sign that they had passed because my brother-in-law and his then partner weren't home. We were warned. Thanks for reading Creep It Real, Kiarni from Australia. Holy fuck at the brother-in-law's brother. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I can only imagine how your heart fell out of your ass. Also, I loved how you wrote, like how you said you had two demons, aka your kids, and then you said holy bat balls or whatever. That was hilarious. And very cool to hear about your experience at the homestead. I don't understand people killing their kids like that i mean same thing with like i said a second ago i don't understand people killing their mom but i mean is it they're so angry at their ex-spouse that they just can't let them be happy i just don't get it me either and how was that on the news already like it was already in a news article and your family knew nothing of it that is fucking terrible that should not have made the news if the fucking family didn't know yet Okay, the next one. The Cowboy, the Miner, and the Shitty Tour Guide. Hello, ladies. It's Molly here. About a year ago, I wrote in with a story about Crazy Woman Canyon, and I totally fangirled when I heard you guys reading it. Funny thing was, I completely forgot about writing in. So when I realized you guys were telling my story, it wasn't until after it was done. No wonder it sounded so familiar. Today, I'm writing in with some stories from the past year. It's taken me a while to build up the courage to talk about it because it scares me even to this day. So sit back and relax while I tell you about my experience in the ghost capital of the Wild West, 
Deadwood, South Dakota. Before I start, there are some mentions of S.A., Zach Bagans, and some foul language towards women in the sex industry, so read and listen at your own risk, because I know how triggering Zach can be. To begin, I should probably give you a backstory. My best friend, we'll call her Emily, and I are obsessed with the paranormal. Whenever we would hang out, we would watch all the ghost shows available and talk about our experiences throughout the years. One day while we were hanging out, I suggested that we take a summer trip up to Deadwood and do some ghost tours. Of course, she said yes, and we began planning. About three months later, me, Emily's mom, and Emily made the four-hour trip to Deadwood. The whole way there, Emily's mom, who I consider to be my second mom, was telling us some of her own ghost stories. I'll try and get them to write them out and send them in, but I can't promise anything. So you'll just have to take my word on how chilling they were. The first tour we went on when we got to Deadwood was a candlelight tour at the Broken Boot Goldmine. This was a very special mine, simply because there are no reported deaths, but the place is still haunted. Our tour guides were some of the nicest, funniest people I've ever met. Despite it being a creepy tour through a dark mine, they found a way to add some comedic relief. While we were walking through the mine, one of our tour guides, we'll call him Dan, showed us two places called Scopes. Scopes are basically little openings in the wall that look into large room where the miners used to mine. Unfortunately, the opening of one of these scopes collapsed in 2010, so we were unable to see inside. However, the other scope had a small window where we were able to peer inside at a time. This is very important to the story, as that is the only way to enter that scope. I don't think even a small child could fit through that opening. I was the last one of our small group to peer inside. I walked up to the front of the window. Dan shined his light in, and I shit you not, peering out behind a rock was a miner. I could see the dirt on his face and the white of his eyes. I was frozen in fear about two seconds until the light moved away to another part of the scope. After quickly composing myself, I asked him to shine his light back on the rock. Of course, the miner was gone. I spoke with the tour guides after it was done and told them what I saw. They were shocked and excited because no one else has ever come forward with anything like that. So if you happen to be in Deadwood, stop by the Broken Boot Gold Mine and take a tour. It's very cheap and I had the time of my life, despite seeing my first full body apparition. I should also mention that I got no bad vibes from the minor ghost. He was probably wondering where the fuck that light was coming from. The next tour we went on was the Fairmont Hotel. To be completely honest, I was most excited for this tour because of how famous it was. I've watched the Deadwood episodes of Ghost Adventures and Dead Files, and I also follow this hotel on Facebook. I mostly wanted to capture a photo of one of the ghosts because that's what their Facebook page is full of. But unfortunately, the tour guide ruined the whole experience. Before I go on with that part, I should mention that the hotel went under new management about two weeks prior to our tour. So the tour guide may have been pretty new. However, being new doesn't excuse the childish actions he had throughout the tour. First, he admitted before the tour that he wasn't going to take us to certain parts of the hotel because he's afraid of ghosts and those are the most haunted places. Y'all, I paid $20 for a ghost tour. Literally, the ticket said ghost tour. Nonetheless, Emily and I gave each other puzzled looks and then we gave him puzzled looks. He just went on with the tour. 
For those who don't know, the Fairmont Hotel was a well-known brothel in the 1800s. Some pretty messed up things happened there that included forms of child essay. When talking about the brothel, he referred to the women as whores and talked about the child essay like it was an everyday conversation. This pissed Emily's mom off and she put him in his place right in front of the 30 people on tour. Funniest shit ever, by the way. While I had no paranormal experiences in the Fairmont, I'm writing this to warn everyone to stay far away from the day tour. The night tour is much better. This we found out later. We went on for a couple more tours in Deadwood before going home. They were both pretty good, but I have to say the gold mine was the best. Two days after returning home, I was falling in and out of sleep when I heard a loud sound coming from the corner of my room. I was in the process of moving to college, so most of my stuff was packed up and upstairs. So I opened my eyes to see what the source of that sound was, and for the second time in my life, I was frozen in fear. Standing in the corner of my room was a dark outline of a cowboy. I couldn't see any physical features. I could only make out the cowboy hat. I would see him standing in that corner every day for a week. He wouldn't do anything specific, just stare. The only time he would leave would be when a light was shined on him. So to make sure I wouldn't see him on his nightly visits, I would sleep with the TV on. For the longest time, I had no idea how the cowboy got attached to me. I just thought it was some rando ghost in Deadwood who just wanted to get out of the city of ghosts. I imagine it's crowded there. However, after writing about the shitty tour guide, I suddenly remembered a certain instance that may have been the culprit. Despite his fear of ghosts, the tour guide did allow us to go into most of the rooms. In these rooms were mannequins that were set up in certain ways. In one room, the mannequins looked like they were playing poker. While I was looking at this room, some teenage boys were having a little too much fun and accidentally bumped into me in the midst of their wrestle. The impact wasn't hard enough to knock me down, but I stepped back to get out of their way. When I took a couple of steps back, I accidentally bumped into one of the mannequins. I turned around to make sure nothing was damaged. Nothing was. If anything, I may have moved its arm a little bit and realized it was a cowboy mannequin. So some piece of advice in the Fairmont, never take anything from the hotel. No matter what it is, a prop, a fly, a nail, it doesn't matter. A spirit will follow you back and make your life hell. Watch your step as well, unless you absolutely want a cowboy friend watching you in your sleep. As always, thanks for reading my story. I plan to write in one more story about Ebenezer and Bertha, named by yours truly, my two friendly dorm ghosts who love to make me fear fart whenever they get the chance. As always, creep it real and don't get scared, Molly. I audibly gasped when you said what that tour guide called the sex workers. Yeah, whoa. Fuck all the way off. Tell me you are an entitled prick without telling me you're an entitled prick. Yeah. And then talking about child essay, like it was just, well, because it was common back then or whatever. Like, what? No. Also, we did really laugh at your trigger warning of Zach Bagans. Also, um, I'm here for a ghost tour and you're not going to take me on the ghost tour because you're scared. I don't understand. Yeah. Are you not being paid for this job? Or if you are volunteering, why did you volunteer? Yeah. Why did you take a job that you couldn't do because you're scared? That's like taking a life. Okay. Not exactly, but like taking a lifeguard position. You can't swim. Yeah. I mean, clearly not because that's like involving saving lives, but you get the point. 
Well, even then, like if you're just scared of the water or fish or whatever, because then you're going to be more hesitant mm-hmm. to go in. That's a good. That's a good point. That'd be like Donna taking a lifeguard <laughs> position at the ocean. Yes, she terrified. Why would she do that? Also, it wasn't your fault that you bumped into the cowboy. But you know what? If you're going to have a ghost, have it be a cowboy. Okay, the next one. Spooky boyfriend story. Hi again, my beautiful ghouls. I sent in a spooky bar story a week or so ago. I'd mentioned that I had been to a psychic that told me I had a male in his 20s and a female coworker from the other side that were with me all the time. I had no idea who either one was. In my last story, I figured out who the female was, but I never figured out who the male was. When I was reading that spooky bar story to my sister, Vicky, who also worked with me at Frankie D's, she wanted us to figure out who the man in his 20s could be. I told her I had no clue. Then Vicky asked me if I ever had another paranormal experience. She was familiar with the scary bar story and the one at the haunted museum, but all of a sudden I remembered another one. I don't know if I ever told anyone this. They would probably have thought I was crazy. So let me tell you the story. I was a bartender for a really long time. I always had a regular job, like a daytime office job, but always had a nighttime bar job too because I was raising three kiddos without child support from the sperm donor, ex-husband. So I was working at this bar in Miriam, Kansas, Kansas City area called Reiki's Landing. It was a really fun dance club with a DJ and stuff. It was a popular bar and it was always hopping. Anyway, one night in came this guy that was gorgeous. He had dark, wavy hair, crystal blue eyes, probably around 6'2", tall, man, oh man. I was like, yep, this one's mine. He walked up to the bar and asked for a beer. I said, first of all, are you from New York? And second of all, you are hot. He smiled at me and said he was from Boston. Dear Jesus, he was so sexy. Anyway, he had a few beers that first night. Every time he came to the bar... For the next week or so, we would chat, flirt. I never asked him his name. I just called him Boston. By the time the following weekend rolled around, I found out he was in Kansas City for a job and his employer put him up at the hotel right down the street from the bar. So at closing, he asked me if I wanted to join him at the hotel for a nightcap. Well, hell yes, I did. He was 21 and I was 35. But yes, I have always been a cougar. Long story short, we were together for three years. We moved to the Lake of the Ozarks and were there for a year or so together. He was beautiful and we loved each other dearly but he was an alcoholic. He wasn't mean or anything. He just drank too much. Ended up ending things because by now I knew he would never change. I didn't want it to end, but I had little kids and it was just time to be done. So he went back to Boston where his family was. I moved back to Kansas City and that's when I got the job at Frankie D's. We cut all ties, but somehow he found out where I was working and called me there occasionally because I wouldn't give him my phone number. One day before work, I went to a restaurant to pick up some food for the kiddos. It was over by the bar where Boston and I had met. The hotel was on one corner and the restaurant was on the other corner. I decided to drive down by the bar just for fun after I picked up my order. I would pass the hotel on the way to the bar. This is back in the day when there were still payphones on every corner. There was a payphone in front of the hotel office. As I passed the hotel office, I looked over at it. There was a guy on the payphone that had his back to me that had on a bright yellow jacket with black writing on it and jeans, an outfit that Boston wore regularly. The guy looked just like him from behind. His build, the way he stood, everything. My heart pounded out of my chest. Once I passed, I looked back and nobody was there. I whipped into the hotel parking. I drove around and around, up and down the streets and everything, trying to see if I could see the guy that had been on the phone that had just up and disappeared. 
I wondered if it was Boston back in Kansas City. I could have sworn it was him. I had no way to reach him, so I just drove around some more to see if maybe I could find him, but no luck. When I got to work, I expected Boston would be calling me to let me know he was in town, but he never called. I got a call at work from a Boston area code, which seemed strange because I had convinced myself he was in town. It was his sister. She was calling to let me know that Boston had died in a hotel room in Boston of a drug overdose. I asked her when. She said they found him three days ago, but he had died the day before, which was the exact day I saw him at the payphone. Needless to say, I was devastated, but I figured he let me see him so it could be our goodbye. We never stopped loving each other. It just had to end. This is a story I told my sister. She said it gave her the chills and that I needed to send it to you girls. Vicky told me she thinks that maybe the 20-year-old guy always with me is Mike, Boston's real name. Once again, chills. I guess it could be him. He was in his 20s when he died. I really do think it was him at the payphone that day. I look at his pictures every now and then and remember how beautiful he was and how much he loved me. I get a little choked up even though it's 30 years later. Okay, that's it. You always say, send in the stories, no matter how small or insignificant they may be. So here's mine. Hope you enjoyed it. Jenny from Kansas City. I'm so glad you followed up because, yeah, we literally just read your story last week on Sinister Sightings. And I was like, I love when that happens when you're like, nope, 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 don't understand that. And then you're like, oh, wait, no, that does make sense that they said that. And now it's like, it's a complete circle. Yes. Look, Donna and I are tellers. Y'all are not tellers. I There's no shot I would have not told someone that I saw who I thought was my ex. Uh-huh. And then especially that I got a call later that they had passed. But again, we're tellers. Even though Carrie wishes I wasn't sometimes. Yeah, well, I'm telling you my stuff. I don't want you to tell the world my stuff. (laughs) Okay, the next one. Two stories about dreams or lack thereof. Hello, ladies. I recently discovered your podcast and am working through the backlog. Maybe I'll be called up by the time you read these. I'm not sure whether these two stories describe dreams or something else. I present these for your consideration. First story. When I was in grad school, I had a studio apartment in a building of 1920s construction. The electricity came in after the walls were built, so all the wiring ran down outside the walls. Just for an example of the age of the place. The place had three bedrooms, a bathroom, a kitchen, and the main living area for a total of some 400 square feet. Well, one day I had a seizure. I turned out fine, but the doc suspended my license and there were certain medical hoops I had to jump through in order to get it back. One of these was kind of like a brain scan. I don't pretend to understand medical stuff. This particular thing required me to stay awake for 24 hours before the scan. So I spent the night futzing around on my computer trying desperately to keep my eyes open. From my desk, the entry to the kitchen was directly to my left. At about the 18-hour mark, I noticed an old woman in a rocking chair sitting in the kitchen. She was wrapped in a blanket and just knitting or something. Never moved from her chair, never said anything. I could only see her out of the corner of my eye. If I tried to look directly at her, she disappeared. I'd never seen her before and never saw her again, but she was there until I left the apartment for the doctor's appointment. Was this a sleep-deprived hallucination, or was I meeting an old resident of the apartment? Second story. This is the weirdest dream I've ever had. I've never experienced lucid dreams, but this might be the closest I've come. 
Same apartment as before, I dreamt the Irish mythological hero, Ku Kulain, was rampaging through my apartment. For those unfamiliar, he's something of a cross between Achilles and the Hulk. When he gets a battle fury, his muscles become huge, his face distorted, his phallus swells to the size of a battering ram, which he used to smash chariots in battle. I know a thing or two about myths, and I recognized his character, so I knew I was dreaming. I figured I'd just lay back and watch the show. Well, after what seemed like a few minutes, I heard a voice asking me questions. I looked over to my right, and there's Sigmund fucking Freud, cigar and all, psychoanalyzing my dream in my dream. That was terrifying. But here's the kicker. When I woke up in the morning, my apartment had actually been tossed. All the clothes taken out of my closet, dishes everywhere, desk overturned. I have never found an explanation for what happened that night. You ladies have any thoughts? Thank you for keeping me company while I shuffle paper during the day. Life is much more bearable. James. Um, The thought of having to stay up for 24 hours straight, I, no shot. I... I don't think I could do the test. No. Well, I would definitely need someone like multiple people to stay up with me. Yes. There's no way I could just stay up like until like probably 2 a.m. I could do it. And then from then on, it would like you better do this test. I don't even know when because be ready at <laughs> 6 a.m. to do it because that's it. I'm yeah. Not able to do it. And then if you make me stay up for that test and I'm sure you put stuff on their head and all of that, that basically is playing with my hair. I'd be out. <laughs> I think it was definitely a hallucination, but it could have been both. It could have been like you're seeing something that your normal brain wouldn't see because you were sleep deprived. And so maybe you were just like closer to the veil. Maybe. But now this Irish myth god guy that had the huge dong, um, he could, uh, you know, smash into me. I was going to say slide into your DMs. Yeah. Okay. The next one. Ghost or guardian angel? Hey, ladies, my name is Shannon, a.k.a. Shan. Feel free to use my actual name. I've got quite the sinister sightings for y'all. I've been sensitive to energy for both the living and the supernatural. I come from a family of witches and clairvoyants. My mother tried to keep me away from the witchy and the clairvoyant stuff for reasons completely unknown to me because she had me participate in a ritual with her when I was only eight years old. Okay, quick tangent because I don't want to leave y'all hanging on a cliffhanger. My mother and I have never had a good relationship. Must be from all the time she beat me bare or maybe the time she tried to kill me. She was looking for a way to mend our relationship and was told by a medium that we were cursed. I'm using a lot of quotation marks because she's an avid liar. Anyway, this medium told her the way we can mend things would be for me, an innocent eight-year-old, BTW, to sleep next to an egg submerged in water for a week. All my negative energy was supposed to be absorbed in the egg. Every night, I would have to light a saint's candle for a few minutes. I can't remember the exact time before going to bed. On the morning of the seventh day, I was supposed to go to the center of a crossroad and break the egg on the ground. Here's the thing, though. When I went to the center of the crossroads, there were cars coming from every direction, and I freaked out. I threw the egg on the ground, and apparently I was too gentle because it didn't even crack. I ran back to the sidewalk. I found out later in life that it was a ritual. My mother and I never did mend our relationship. She says, I'm the problem, but I've got 18 years. I'm now 23 years old. Worth of trauma, that'll say otherwise. Back to what I originally wanted to write in about. Thank you, ADHD brain. For as long as I can remember, there's been a woman that follows me in my dreams. 
I've never interacted with her in my dreams until recently. This woman, suspected to be one of my ancestors, pops up every now and then while I'm dreaming. One night during a series of night terrors, she would appear in each dream, kind of following me in a way. I've never spoken with her, but I've also never been afraid of her. In some of my dreams, I feel protective of her, which defeats the purpose of a guardian angel. Am I right? I blame my own protective personality. One night, shortly after moving into my current apartment, I dreamt of her again, I think. You see, at this point, I have been experiencing a lot of sleep paralysis, so this could be a dream or something more. She was standing at the side of my bed, looking down at me sleeping. She didn't have a face, but I felt like she was trying to tell me something. Me being as exhausted as I was, tried pushing her away. I felt like when you're running in your dream and going nowhere. It felt like it took every bit of my strength to lift my arm. My eyes kept fighting to close, but my stubborn ass was determined. The last thing I remember is the woman reaching for my hand. I spoke to my older sister about it the next morning without going into much detail. Turns out she's been seeing the same woman in her dreams. She explained how she looked and each detail matched with mine. Mind you, I didn't tell my sister what this woman looked like. The only difference is the woman scares my sister and makes her feel uneasy. What are your thoughts, ladies? Creep it real, Shan. Fuck, I don't know. I like it when y'all email us at the end of the stuff so that we know what it is. Not in the middle, because I don't fucking know. I know. We are not experts. Yeah, we want y'all to figure it out and then tell us. Yeah. (laughs) We want to be spectators. Oh, you know what I really want? A tater log. What the fuck, Donna? Spectator made you think of a tater log in the midst of her dream of this woman that is in her and her sister's dream? Yes. Wow, fucking Leo. (laughs) And I love carbs. Anyway... Uh, I wonder why she does make y'all feel different. Maybe she's trying to warn your sister of something, but with you, like, you're good right now. I don't know. Does your sister have a different relationship with your mom? Ooh. Like, is it something to do with your mom, but her, you know, again, her relationship's so different? Yeah. Okay, the last one. Family ghost or something else? Hi, Donna and Carrie. My name is Travis, and I've been listening to your podcast for a long time. Up until recently, I've been a terrible listener and finally got caught up on all your episodes. And I promised myself once I got caught up, I would finally sit down and write in my stories. Also, don't want Carrie to run out of stories. I've also introduced my boyfriend to the podcast, and we both love listening to you girls. I'm a big true crime and horror junkie. If I'm not watching Dybbuk Douche, then I'm watching Forensic Files or Dateline. Finding your podcast has been the perfect fit for me. I absolutely love your podcast, even if I do get stares at work when I burst out laughing randomly at my desk. I have a couple of stories I want to share from one of the houses I grew up in. For some background, I am from a very rural, sorry Donna, area in northeastern Pennsylvania. Bumfuck more accurately describes it. Growing up, one of the houses we lived in was my mom's boyfriend's old family country house. It was over 200 years old and originally a general store back in the 1800s. Her boyfriend also had a sister who passed away right around the time they started dating back in 2001. Now I can say with certainty, this house was haunted. Whenever I would be in the house alone, which was every day getting home from school, I just wouldn't feel alone in the house. Going upstairs, there is one relatively narrow hallway that's in an L shape. 
I would always feel someone would be standing around the corner of the L when I go upstairs. When walking down the hallway at night, you would always feel like someone was watching you. To this day, even when I go into the house, I still feel someone's watching me and I find myself shutting doors just in case some demon decides to come popping out. When we were living in the house, I would sleep with my door open at night. Multiple times as I was trying to fall asleep at night and everyone else would be asleep, I would sometimes hear metal clinking together downstairs. It sounded like someone was moving the pots and pans in the kitchen cabinets. It wasn't super loud, but enough that you could hear them shifting in the cabinets and not a sound that could be made by anything else. One night when I was around 10, I was awoken by what sounded like a deck of cards being shuffled. At that time, I had a mini deck on my nightstand. I woke up and looked over at the nightstand and saw a human-shaped figure standing there. The figure looked almost like it was made up of TV static. It was a mixture of black and gray, but like the static you see on TV, if that makes sense. I watched the human-shaped figure walk away from my nightstand, around my bed, and out the door. Now, this figure was solid as it blocked out the nightlight I had in my window. I covered my head in the covers and somehow managed to fall back asleep. Another time when I was around 12 or 13, my cousin was living with us at this time. For some quick background, my cousin has very light, almost bleach blonde hair. She had gotten home around 11 one night and we were all just going to bed. I laid down in my bed with my door open. My bed was on the same wall as the door. So if you walked in my room and looked to the left, there was my bed. I was laying down on my back with my legs pulled up so the bottom of my feet were sitting on the bed. My knees were sticking up and blocking part of the view of my doorway. Well, I heard a creak like someone had stepped at my doorway, so I looked up. Over the tops of my knees, I could see a top of a head that looked like it had bleach blonde and semi-curly hair. I watched the top of the head for a moment and then it walked out of my room. Thinking it was my cousin, I got up and walked to her room to ask what she wanted. When I knocked on her door and asked her, she acted like she didn't know what I was talking about. She was in the middle of changing and denied coming into my room. At that point, I fear farted as I had just watched someone or something walk out of my room. I refused to sleep alone for that night. Fast forward to sometime later, and I was talking to my mom's boyfriend's mother. Circling back to the sister I had mentioned before, come to find out my room was a sister's old room in the house. His sister happened to have very light blonde, slightly curly hair. I can't say for sure, but I think this was her making her presence known that night, even though I had never met her when she was alive. That's all my stories for now. I definitely want to write in more later. I most definitely want to apologize for the length because I love the longer ones. Creep it real and don't get scared, Travis. If you would be able to shout out my boyfriend, Robert G. from Pennsylvania in the Creepinati, I would appreciate it. Shout out Robert G in the Creepinati. Donna loves a damn rum. I do. So I guess nothing sinister, just a sister. <laughs> <laughs> the way you cracked yourself up on that one. <laughs> the way I don't think it actually rhymed. <laughs> Why don't I understand rhyming? I mean, it does, but it's not the same as... Like, it's like a cadence more so yeah. than rhyme. Yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Anyway... How about you not putting your knees down, though? Like, I would have been, like, peeking over. I'm just too nosy. I can't sit with my knees up like that. Well, if I have my knees up, there's kind of, it's kind of like in a V-shape, like an open V-shape, because yeah. my knees can't touch like that. 
Yeah, I was going to say, it's not like we're not sitting like they were sitting. Yeah. We're not so flexible. That's what we take away from this. <laughs> not the blonde person that's like creeping in their room. Right. I've been hanging out with you too long. My takeaway is not the takeaway. <laughs> but, you know, like I sleep with my bedroom door open. But when y'all say y'all do, I'm like, why don't you close your bedroom door? But I think it's because you're saying that you see something in the hallway and things like that. And so it's more scary to me. But then I remember, wait, I do the same thing. If I lived with people, I would sleep with my bedroom door closed. But it's just me and Colby here, you know. But like if somebody else was visiting or lived here, I would close my door. Well, because I want Marley to be able to go in and out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you just, you live by yourself. So, yeah, yeah, you, you know, you leave your door open. True. But a lot of people sleep with their door closed, their bedroom door closed and locked for safety. Yeah. Well, my door doesn't lock. I've learned that because Marley's busted in on some naughty time. She said, I don't know what the fuck you're doing there to my mama, but I got to check it out. <laughs> Thank y'all so much for sending in all these stories. And, you know, for having my back and worried, just like me, that we're going to run out. So keep them coming. Send them into aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and don't get scared.